Welcome to Married to History, where we try to be informative, entertaining, and family-friendly. Aloha! I'm Christopher. I have a fancy piece of paper on my wall that says that I know more about history than most people do. I'm Shirley. I'm a homeschool mom that relies on good curriculum, Christopher, and Broadway musicals to teach our kids history. Broadway musicals. Hey honey, I have a history question for you. I love history questions. Let me guess it's scripted. It is. Oh, how did I know? <laughs> how can bananas have a government? Okay, so before before you answer, you're referring to banana republics. Hey, I take it. You're right. Yeah. Hold on, before before you answer that, you know we've talked about democracies, republics, monarchies, dictatorships, empires, constitutional monarchies. We've 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 talked about all of them, mm -hmm. but we haven't talked about banana republics before. Mm -hmm. So I asked the kids what they thought a banana republic was. Oh, this will probably be entertaining. It was awesome. So they gave me very weird, confused looks. And then here's what they said. So we'll start with the youngest. Cortis said, a stupid republic. That word banana just screams stupid to me. <laughs> so we're off to a good start. So the middle two, Tertius and Secundus, they both said, independently of, of each other, a republic of bananas instead of people. <laughs> okay, logical. And then uh, Primus, our, our oldest, said, a republic that relies heavily on bananas. It's like their sole source of trade, or it's their currency, or just everything revolves around bananas. You know, I'm actually kind of proud of that answer. <laughs> it's, it's not, not too far terribly off. Terribly far from the truth. <laughs> True. So what the heck is a banana republic? A banana republic. The, Besides a store in the mall. The Oh, yeah. Isn't it a clothing store, yeah, too? Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. So... The term Banana Republic uh, comes out of the American Imperial period. So despite mm -hmm. what uh, America loves to say about us being all about uh, freedom and uh, equality for people and ways of life and whatnot, mm -hmm. no, America had its little run, one could say that we arguably still do, mm -hmm. of imperialism. Mm -hmm. uh, probably nowhere more so than in Central and South America and the Caribbean islands as well. A banana republic is what we call a government uh, that exists in mm -hmm. one of these places, again, usually Central South America or the Caribbean, okay. where the person in charge or the people in charge... Is a banana. No. Is a human... Loves bananas. Are you going to let me answer the question? <laughs> I will eventually. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I swear if you mention pajamas, I will slap you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Does the leader wear pajamas with bananas For on For any who might have heard that smack, that was just me clapping my hands. I did not strike my wife. He wouldn't dare. No, that's right. My brother-in-laws are probably listening yep. to this, aren't they? Darn them. Never liked it Sorry, either. go ahead. Okay, I take that back. I liked one of my brother-in-laws. Yeah, I liked two and, two and a half of my brother-in-laws. Oh. The others, though. Yeah. Anyways. And now, but shit's killing him. Which two and a half am I referring you to? Really? More particularly, which one is the half? You really think they listen to this? Probably not. They're not cool enough to listen to this. Uh, so where was I? Oh, it's Banana Republic. Oh, yeah. So a Banana Republic yes. is a republic in which the government, yes. which is usually uh, is usually either one guy or maybe an oligarchy, so a mm -hmm. small group of guys, mm -hmm. that are getting kickbacks or profit shares uh -huh. from American investors, or one could arguably say from foreign investors. Okay. Uh, and the government guys... They exploit the natural resources and the labor uh -huh. of their people so no that these outside investors can make money off of them. Mm -hmm. And then again, they get the kickback of that. Right. So that is Banana Republic. 
One could argue that it is a it is a corrupt government because, like I said, they are exploiting the natural resources of the uh -huh. land and the natural work or the, the labor of the people who probably aren't getting any share of that profit mm -hmm. or anything because all of the profits that are coming from that exploitation are right. going to outside investors and the government guys get a kickback of it. That is a banana republic. So why is it so called... So the store calling itself a banana republic I think is one of the dumbest ideas you could ever do because you're naming yourself after an evil, awful thing. Yeah, doesn't and it being sound a clothing like, store of all things. Like how so, else do you advertise we're well, made in a sweatshop? So let, let, me, <laughs> let me answer the, the part of your question that you were just yes. about. So why is it called a banana republic? Yeah. Because nowhere at no point in time was this more commonly practiced, at least in the United States, uh -huh. than by the fruit companies. Wait, what? Than by the fruit companies. So there are two big fruit companies uh, at the tail end of the 1800s, beginning of the early 1900s. Okay. Uh, United Fruit and... Um, Dole Pineapple. No. Uh, United Fruit and I don't remember what the name of the other one was. Macintosh Apples. <laughs> what? One was United Fruit. I don't remember what the name of the other one was, but neither of those names exist anymore. But those uh -huh. two companies today are... Chiquita Banana and Dole Fruits. Wait, seriously? Yeah, <laughs> it's the same company. It's the same company. They changed their brand, they changed their name, but it's the same they company. They needed to rebrand because yes. bad luck. I don't I can't say that I know for sure why they rebranded. You're gonna get a suit. But it is a, they, they can't sue me. It's, it's, like, it's historical fact. Unless they're mistaken, even they themselves don't deny it. They aren't keen to mention it, but they don't deny it. It's, seriously, it's a matter of now, fact. Now I need to look on their corporate I, website, like, so, about us page. I, uh, So I might be getting the two mixed up. I believe yeah. United Fruits becomes Chiquita, uh -huh. and I, I don't remember what the name of was the company that eventually becomes Dole. But yeah, uh -huh. it, was, it was the two of them. And so yeah, they, they were big into the fruit game. They were uh -huh. So basically, they went to Central America, South America, uh, the Caribbean islands. Uh -huh. They bought up huge chunks of lands, or at least they bought up interest in huge chunks of the land in there. Okay. And the local governments, to make sure that they would keep, and so to make sure that the Americans would keep getting profits, uh -huh. they would pay the local governments, or they would pay thugs, basically, to yeah. to oppress the people, to to exploit the land, exploit the labor, so that they could keep making money. And, of course, to get these guys yeah. to be able to keep exploiting, well, they had to pay their thugs, if you will, or the government, if yeah. you will, to keep doing this thing. Dude. And so, yeah, this was one of the most... Common. A lot of the a lot of the troubles that one reads about, like, and this, unfortunately, is another one of those things that doesn't get mentioned a lot in American history because it's one of the dark spots and we don't like talking about no, our failures. This is one of the things that I don't like about teaching American history. It's okay to teach about our good things and our flaws. Let people know that our country, while being awesome, is mm -hmm. not perfect, but still is awesome, I think. But wait, like, this doesn't even seem like it's in, it would be included in an American history class anyways, because, well, that's Central America, like, whatever. But it was part of the imperial era, era okay. of the United States, where the United States, for a brief bit of time, got out of... So the United States, from its beginning, has always been an isolationist nation. Okay. Never wanted to get involved in the affairs of Europe. Never really cared about what was going on outside of its borders. Only really cared about itself. Okay. Now, this does not mean that we weren't happy to slaughter a bunch of Native Americans <laughs> who uh, had the nerve to get in our way when we tried to take their land. Right. How dare they be in our country? <laughs> it also means that we didn't care much about Gosh. Mexicans for foolishly being on land that we wanted and not giving it to us when we asked for it. Right. When we asked politely for it. Sure. Believe, believe it or not, we actually the uh, Polk did ask yeah. politely, I'm using air quotes there, sorry, did ask 
politely for it. He offered to buy it from Mexico before Mexico said, uh, heck no. And, well, then they, they got so the naturally then they got the stick. Yeah. Yeah. So aside from that, America is very much isolationist. And this has repeated itself throughout history. Even though America does get involved in World War One, for example, yeah. right after the war is over, America goes right back into isolationism. A lot of what goes on in Europe with Hitler and Mussolini eventually uh -huh. rising to power, a lot of it, one could argue, is not just because Britain and France didn't do anything, but the United States didn't care either at the well, time. Well, it wasn't our business, exactly. one would argue. Yeah, it's that, it, that's the argument then, though. Yeah. But it was technically our business. Yeah. We helped out in World War I. We were at Versailles. We contributed mm. to the peace negotiations. We, oh, well, okay, we didn't sign the documents because con by the time <laughs> it came time for the U.S. to sign the documents, Congress had decided, you know, no, we don't want a part of this. Had already oh, gone back into isolation mode. Okay. Right. But there's so many but, things that brought us out of isolation. But yes, but, um, but uh, after the Spanish-American War, so 1898... When the uh, Americans get involved in the bid for Cuban independence, uh -huh. uh, this begins, or I don't know if this begins, but this is the time in which the idea of American of imperialism in America mm. starts to take hold. Uh, President McKinley and President Roosevelt after him are going to be big on securing foreign pieces of land mm -hmm. for American business interests, if not political interests as well. Okay. At the tail end of the Spanish-American War, or well, at the end, sorry, of the Spanish-American War, this is where the U.S. gets Puerto Rico, gets the Philippine Islands, mm -hmm. uh, gets um, a couple other pieces of land, too, off the top of my head. Uh, gets Guam is among them. I don't remember what all the other pieces of land we get are. Yeah. And we would have gotten Cuba, too, but before the U.S. joined the uh, Spanish-American War, uh -huh. there was an American congressman named uh, Platt, and he specifically put it into legislation that, all right, what, before the United States even decided whether or not they were going to get involved in this war, he mm -hmm. specifically put it into an act of Congress that said that, all right, no matter what we choose to do, okay. at the end of this, we are not allowed to annex Cuba. Why did he care? Because he, didn't, he was an anti-imperialist. He didn't want the U.S., conquering Cuba at the end of this Why deal. did he specify Guam, though, and not, like, no, specify... So, Gua Guam sorry, not Guam. Him. I mean Cuba. Why because did Cuba was the only... Cuba was the only concern at the time. That was what the only one in dispute? What led to the Spanish-American War was Cuba fighting for independence from Spain. Yeah. That was the only thing. So, Puerto Rico, Guam, the Philippines weren't involved okay. in that at all. Okay. And in the beginning, it was only... Cuba was the only thing that the United States was concerned about. But at the end of the Spanish-American War, part of the peace deal was that, oh, Spain gave us all these other places, too. Oh, so if he had thought about that, would he have included those in the legislation as well? It's possible. I also wouldn't be surprised, though, if perhaps some other people had said that, yeah, no, we don't want these places of land. So I, I cannot say that I know for sure what Platt's... Uh, what? I'm getting it wrong. Not Platt. Sorry. Platt was, some, Platt was something else. Platt actually is a congressman who hoses Cuba after the Spanish-American War is over. So oh. my bad. I think Teller is the name of the congressman who says, no, we can't we can't take over Cuba. Okay. I wonder how many people listening to that were just going on yelling at me saying, no, no, you're wrong. So I, I, I Probably remember. not many because that seems like an obscure fact. <laughs> well, I would hope that other historians are listening or at least uh, <laughs> want to be historians. Okay, so I'm going to look it up. You think it's Teller? I believe it's called the Teller Amendment. Okay. Yeah, Platt is the poisonous pill, so I'm pretty sure it's the Teller Amendment. Poisonous pill? Hill. Um, yes, you're right. It's Senator Henry M. Teller of Colorado in April 1898. Okay, so yeah, he's the one that says that we're not going to do it. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if we knew that Puerto Rico and Guam and all these other territories were on the table. I wouldn't be surprised if he or others had said, no, we're not going to conquer these places either. Because the, I, the, the whole reason the U.S. got in, involved in Cuba was not out of the desire to conquer, take over Cuba. Mm -hmm. Now, Teller knew that some voices in Congress oh, yeah. were going to want to do that. Yeah. But mostly, the, and this has actually been the case of the U.S.'s interference in a lot of foreign countries, mm -hmm. it was that there are substantial holdings that are um, of land that are owned in Cuba by Americans, mm. and we wanted to make sure that American business interests and American property and American citizens aren't harmed as the Cubans and the Spanish are fighting each other. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, that's why the teller man was in there. Um, and I forgot, what was the original question? How did I get into this? Oh, we were asking about yeah. banana republics. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and they're getting then. So a lot of these banana republics, the mm -hmm. U.S. military is going to go into these countries and interfere because in some cases, the banana republics aren't able to maintain power or control if somebody else, uh, either the people rise up or some yeah. other foreign country kind of encroaches on the deal or maybe some a different guy wants to be the one in charge so he starts muscling out the others yeah. but the american businessmen don't like him so on more than a couple of occasions during the time period between the 1890s up to about the 1920s or so maybe probably even into the 1930s a bit the american military is going to be called out into a lot of these places to put down problems but that threaten american business that, that threaten american property that threaten that either threaten american That's... businesses threaten american property or threaten american citizens living in those places that seems wrong. Yep. On a, on a national scale, it's very wrong because that is a foreign country yeah. meddling in the affairs of a, of a, a because... sovereign country. But this is a common thing that has been done throughout history. Plenty of other wars and other things have started because one country is more concerned about its own yeah. benefits or its own people than it is of others. But so one of the things that create uh, this is a common problem that leads to struggles in a lot of the banana republics, and this is an argument about capitalism and the way it's practiced in the world mm -hmm. today. So I'm I'm a fan of capitalism. I like it. I mm -hmm. think that despite its flaws, it's the best economic system that mankind has thus far come up with. Okay. But yes, as I just said, it like any other system has its flaws, and one of those is in this regard. So in capitalism. There should be nothing to stop these men from buying property. There should be nothing from the local government, the legitimate government, or the yeah. people to sell their property or their labor to these people who are willing to pay for it. Okay. But the problem with this is, is that as foreigners do this, as Americans go to, say, Panama and mm -hmm. start buying up the land, not only does this mean that a lot of the resources that Panama produces aren't staying in Panama and helping Panamanians, but they're going to the United States, yeah. where the United States is probably going to get an awful lot of profit from them. But this also means that the Panamanians, the local people that live there, there is less land available to them. There is no land, of, or less land available for them to start their own farm, yeah. to try to produce and provide for themselves instead of working for the foreigners. But in theory, they're being paid to work the land for the American businessmen. Yes, but then you get the argument of, but are they being fairly compensated right. for their work? And then this argument continues today. Are workers ever right. truly being fairly compensated for the amount of labor that they put in? So yeah. one argument is that, yes, they are because they agreed to work for whatever the conditions were, whatever the pay and the benefits were. Yeah. So yes, this is fair. But the flip side of that argument is, uh, but was the guy giving them this contract... Was he giving them a fair deal with the mm. amount of money he was willing to pay them, with the amount of benefits they were willing to give? So one argues yeah. that that doesn't matter because the worker could have said no. The worker was free to 
try to find a job, try to find some yeah. other way of taking care of himself. And other people would argue that, oh, but then what? how, how much legitimate of a opportunity do they yeah. have to look elsewhere for something? Yeah, could they so, have actually said no? Were they desperate? So, yeah, it's it's an argument that we're never going to get the answer to, mm -hmm. or at least personally for me, I don't think we're ever going to get a solid argument to because I see both points. Mm -hmm. For me, I can see how there's always something else that one, or I'm inclined to believe that there's always something else mm -hmm. that one can do. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy thing to do. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to require horrible sacrifice and be an awful experience and it might still fail at the end yeah but i myself am on that minefield that our minefield mentality <laughs> that no but there is something else you could have done so uh for a brief time while i was going back to school uh -huh. i was unemployed i wasn't working i could have chose to go and work more i didn't have to choose to just stay home work so i had another option mm -hmm. if i were to ever say oh i had no other choice that would be bad on me to imply that because yeah. i did have other choices would have made it harder for me. I don't know if I would have been able to complete school if I was trying to balance yeah. them both because I have a terrible work ethic. I hope my <laughs> boss isn't listening to this. You said it, not me. <laughs> I hope my boss is not saying this. But the, the same thing goes for like, uh, to, so I don't want to, I know you said you wanted to avoid controversial issues. Yeah, but like the, get us in trouble. So the, well, the argument for a lot of the immigrants who want to come to the United yeah. States. There are some people in the United States that said, we have to let them in. They have no other choice. Okay. And there are some people that said, but they could. They could stay where they are and tough it out. If yeah. not tough it out, fight, campaign for a change. When I look back his, at history and I study things like revolutions and uh, mm -hmm. living conditions, uh, push factors that have driven people out of land, pull factors that have driven people to new lands. One of the things that is a constant is that often enough, it's the people that desire change, the people that have the will and the mindset yeah. to change things, to improve things, that rather than stay and change those things in the face of the adversity they encounter, they choose to leave instead. Right. So I don't want to pick on any real countries. I'm going to make up a country. <laughs> okay. So let's say... Um, I can't make up a good country name. Let's say the uh, the, the Central American nation of... Um, Come on, you're a creative person. Okay, I'm, you can I'm do gonna, this. I'm, I, I can't, I'm failing. So I'm going to pick on Herman Cain. Let's say that the good people of Uzbeki Becky Stan Stan uh, decide that... Uh, they're, they're, That's a deep cut. I thought it was funny the way he said it. I, I'm not trying to disrespect the people of Uzbekistan, but I, just, I always love the way that he said it. Let's say that the people of this fictitious country, not to be Completely confused with the real country, one hundred percent fictitious, are are uh, they're fed up with the government, or they're fed up with the crime, or they're fed up mm -hmm. with the lack of jobs, or whatever in their country. Uh -huh. They're free to leave. I'm not knocking them for trying to leave, trying to go somewhere else, yeah. and trying to make a better life for themselves. But if all the people that recognize the problems and want things to get better are leaving, yeah, then who is staying behind to improve things? Nobody. The only people right. that are staying behind are the ones that either like things the way they are mm -hmm. or have an interest in the it's status quo they're maintaining or are disinclined, whatever the yeah. reasons, be it fear or otherwise, yeah. to try to leave. Okay, and I completely, I'm not going to argue against your point because that's not the point here, but the flip side is that's what we did when we took our kids out of public school. Yep. Instead of, you know, you and I have the knowledge and the will and the passion for education mm -hmm. and instead of staying in the public school system you know keeping our kids in the public school system 
and being the best gosh dang room parents we can be and making a change in the public school system, we took them out and taught them at home. Because we had to do what was best for our family in that moment. True, but I would argue against your point on just this one specific. Okay. So, yes, while our choice did not represent any change in the public school system, Uh we did, however make our case and we continue to make our case for changing in the education system the public education system true and i we still are have fans like, and proponents yeah. of charters we argue for charters we campaign for charters i we have written our congressman we encourage everybody that we talk to charters we are very much in fans of school choice yeah. so yes our choice does not improve the public school that that one place or yeah. the multiple places where our kids might have gone to mm-hmm. had we kept them in public school but we are trying to improve the educational options for kids okay. in our home. Yeah. We okay. did we so yes, while we pulled our kids out of out of school, we did not pack up our kids and move to England so that they could mm. go to a completely different set of schools. Yeah, okay. We did not pull them out and put them into a private school. And even if we could have afforded it, I don't think we would have done that because <laughs> no. I don't think that's worth it. For those of you who probably don't know, because I doubt we've mentioned it, I went to a private school yeah. and I'm an idiot. <laughs> You're not an idiot. Yeah, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> it wasn't a good experience, though. Yeah, it wasn't I, worth your parents' I, money. I, I, I did not enjoy it. And yes, I, I do feel kind of sad that my parents spent so much money uh, to get me the, the experience where even if it did educate me well, it was not a fun experience Well, for they me. were paying for you to get bullied every day, but I digress. Okay, yeah, we're digressing. I digress. The bullying so, <laughs> wasn't the only bad experience of it. I know, I know. Anyway, so I feel like we've gone off topic. We have very okay, gone off But now I'm, we're talking about how terrible and traumatic my childhood was. <laughs> <laughs> they okay. called me Super Baby. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm I'm a little caught up on this military aspect, though. So, like, imagine that Microsoft, an American company, Mm -hmm. they have an office in, I don't know, South Korea. Okay. Okay? And for some reason, because of poor local governments, like, not governing the area well, Microsoft's building in South Korea is under some kind of threat. Okay. We send the military to South Korea to what? Suppress the local government? So that would never happen. Today? It seems so, so absurd. Today? Probably not, especially because South Korea South Korea is a big enough player on the world stage. Yeah. But back in the past yeah. when South Korea wasn't and there was and the UN didn't exist, uh-huh. then yeah, it's entirely possible that Bill Gates, with his many, with his much, much money and probably friends in high places in Congress uh-huh. or whatnot, probably could have successfully gotten the military to go to Korea and imposed martial law there for a time in order to secure the American-owned property and any American citizens that were working in that place. So we like we we like nuke a local government for the sake of a business. I know that. I don't... So again, it seems so absurd to me. So I, I get that you seem that it's that you think that it's absurd, but the thing that I want to make sure is clear yeah. is that, yes, America did this sort of thing. That's yeah. terrible. We shouldn't have done those things. That's very much against what we claim to honor in, our, yeah. in all of our important documents. But this is something that has been practiced by countries, kingdoms, empires uh-huh. th- since the dawn of time, as far back as we can remember. All the way back into the days of Rome and Carthage mm. and heck, even before then, Babylon, Persia. Yeah, if an ally of theirs or if a place that they had vested interest in 
controlling or manipulating or whatnot uh-huh. ha- had some threat against it, or then, yes, they would go in with their army, with their influence, yeah. and boss the people around until they got what they wanted out of it. That's so weird. It's, it's, it's that classic mentality of the people that are in power. They want to keep their power. They want to maintain their power. And if you yeah. threaten their power, then they're going to exercise their power to make sure you don't do that. So how did... First of all, these so these Central American countries, what was their government structures before these American businesses, these fruit companies came in? Was it just like a mix of kingdoms or did they have okay, their own so republics? I, I, so I do not know this answer largely because I don't know how good of records were kept. Okay. Um, to give you an idea, um, one that I'm familiar with, so this is earlier than the Banana Republic stage of time, Okay. but uh, in about the 1840s, there was an effort to turn Nicaragua into one of the United States. An American man... Uh, I've heard this, but name, it makes no sense. It's so far away. I, I don't remember what his name was off the top of my head. I want to say Walker or Wheeler, something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, he is... There's a there's a civil war going on in Nicaragua. So Nicaragua has a complicated history. In the, in the 1820s, <laughs> in the 1820s, the Mexican Empire declares independence from Spain. Got it. Uh, in the 1830s, Nicaragua and a bunch of other countries that then call themselves uh, the Central American States or the Central American Empire, something I don't, uh-huh. or the Union of Central uh, American States. I don't remember what they call themselves. They break off. They declare independence and break off from the Mexican Empire. Oh. Okay. And then, like five or six years after that, Nicaragua fights for its independence from that entity. So it's just breaking. And so by by like the 1840s, Nicaragua has gotten its independence. It is Nicaragua. And then a civil war breaks out between the liberals and the conservatives. If I remember correctly, the liberals, the liberal sect, they're losing. So they hire an American mercenary, this Walker or Wheeler guy, whatever his Mm -hmm. name is, to come in and fight for them. He shows up. Yeah. He fight. He, he and the mercenary band he has with them, they help fight. They're winning the war. It's looking good. Yeah. But then Wheeler realized... I got to find out what his <laughs> Should name Should I look him up? Look him up, because I'm going to keep calling him Wheeler, and I'm not convinced that that was his name. It might have been Walker. I, I think it might have been Watkins now. I think it was Wheeler or Walker. <laughs> Walker, yes. It is Walker. It was Walker. All, All right. right, we have confirmed. His name is Walker. Tell All me right, about... So yes. The event, and I want to point out... Okay, so I remembered this before I found it. I remembered that this event was known as the filibuster war. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, so this, uh, Walker, the, the name of the guy was Walker, he realizes through the conflict that, why did it work for these guys? I can just take over the whole thing myself. So he uh, he basically declares himself ruler. I don't remember if he calls himself president or whatnot. But he basically takes over Nicaragua and says, all right, this is the, Nicaragua is now belongs to me. We're going to turn this into a future U.S. state. Oh with gosh. the goal being that at this time, like many other countries around the world, they were trying to find a way to cut across uh-huh. Central America in traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast since there weren't trains back then and they wanted waterways. But that's so far out of the way. Yes, but Central America is the skinny piece of land in between. It's somewhere in... It's, you cross somewhere in Central America or you make the long way around all the way north over Canada oh, or all the way south oh, around... Oh, the argument is, okay, you go down in a boat down through the ocean and then east or yeah. west across Central America and yes. then back up on a boat through the ocean. Okay, I'm yes. following. All right. I'm following. So yes, that, that, that was an event known as the filibuster war. Uh, it only lasted for a couple of years. A couple of um, some fairly famous people uh, were at least thinking about getting involved in there. Um, 
I remember uh, Pierre Beauregard. He's a famous uh, general who eventually goes on gets uh, some fame in the Civil American War. Civil War. Yep. So he, for at least a for a time, considers going down to Nicaragua and joining Walker. I think a friend of him talks him out of it. Dude. Um, but yeah, some some people that are going to be fairly famous in the Civil War and from the Mexican War do uh, do are tempted to get involved in this. But the plan eventually fails. A combined uh, alliance from from the surrounding area. I don't remember all the countries that get involved, but the the Nicaraguans themselves, combined with the uh, Hondurans and uh, at least some people from the from the surrounding countries, all join together and they fight off Walker and his mercenaries. Because almost none of the local people are actually on Walker's side. Walker's why would they be? Almost his entire army is made up of foreign mercenaries, and there's yeah. like and and when I talk about this war, I want to be clear. This is not like on the scale of the American Revolution mm -hmm. where you have thousands, maybe sometimes as much as tens of thousands of people yeah. on the battlefield fighting. Walker, I believe, Walker's mercenary army, I believe at its height, was like less than 200 men. The, these were small armies fighting small battles. Okay. So the whole point of this was, what were the governments before <laughs> the Banana Republics? The, so that, that was an example in that. So the, the history of how uh, Mexico all the way on down yeah. to the end of South America got their independence, became independent countries, and what governments and whatnot they have. Yeah. I am not familiar with all the details of that. Okay. Some I know more about than others. I don't know a lot about a lot of them. And uh -huh. I don't know, okay, how much of that is because we don't have records or it's just they're not records that have ever come across my way. Or maybe to be fair, you I've just never don't gone, care enough. To be fair, I've never gone <laughs> out of my way to look for a yeah. lot of these. So if I remember correctly, for so I know Mexico, once upon a time, called itself the Mexican Empire. Yeah. That eventually doesn't last. I believe Brazil is an empire for a time and their leader is considered an emperor, king, something uh -huh. of that nature. But I don't remember how long that lasts. Uh, there's an attempt for a time to unify, well, like we mentioned with Nicaragua, there was mm -hmm. an attempt to unify all of Central yeah. America, but that didn't last. Uh, Simon Bolivar, a famous guy, tries to unify, I don't know if he was trying to unify all of South America, but at least the northern section of South America yeah. into what he called Grand Colombia. And I think oh. Grand Colombia does actually exist for a time, like or at least like a, a whisper of life into it. Okay. But it eventually falls apart because the locals don't trust each other. They all turn mm. on each other and form their own separate countries. So yeah, I do not know all the histories, but it is okay. fair to say that in all of them, they're pr they probably weren't peaceful, and there probably mm. were, I'm inclined to believe, that there were factions that led to civil wars and coups and yeah. things of that nature before any semblance of stability actually got put into these countries. Okay, so just right and, for corruption and, and people taking and advantage. on more than a couple of occasions, the Americans are either going to get involved in this or in some cases be directly responsible. Mm. Uh, for example, Panama used to be part of Colombia. That narrow strip yeah. belonged to Colombia. But um, when uh, the Americans decided that they... Uh, so the French are the first ones to start building the Panama Canal, but they don't finish mm -hmm. the project. So the Americans decide they're going to buy the project right. and finish it. The Colombians want to charge the Americans like $10 million in rent. <laughs> and Roosevelt, knowing that well, the Panamanians are rebelling against the Colombians, yeah. Roosevelt goes to the Panamanians and says to them, Hey, uh... How much would you charge us if we were to do this thing? Oh. If I remember correctly, he's able, or at least his representatives are able to talk the Panamanians down to like $250,000 yeah. a year rent. That's a nice chunk of change cheaper. We're going to side with them. So Roosevelt, or the United States, sponsors the Panamanian rebels. Panamanians are yeah. able to get their independence from Colombia. So one could argue that that is a good thing for the Panamanians in that, hey, they got what they wanted. They got their independence. Right. 
but at the same time, arguably one of the greatest sources of revenue for their country is owned by a foreign power yeah. for the next hundred years. So us meddling, like, was it good in the long run or not? So it, to be clear, I don't. I think it is fair to say that no country has ever meddled in the affairs of another country without it benefiting their own interests for one reason or another. Oh yeah. And I would hope that over time, some of these countries have made good decisions as far as trying to, or at least restoring some of that legitimacy. Uh, a lot of people have teased Britain and said, ugh, it's so horrible, you guys are so stupid for giving away chunks of your empire. And while on an economic and a power basis, uh, you can agree with that statement, mm -hmm. and it's arguably foolish for Britain to have given away these places, on a moral standpoint, mm -hmm. on a social standpoint, it's very good that Britain returns these places to the, pe to the yeah. local people. Um, same thing could be said for the United States. So, so uh, people Carter one of them got ripped for giving the Panama Canal back to the Panamanians. Uh -huh. He signed a legislation during his presidency that it would go back to them at the end of the millennium. Um, and, and he got a lot of flack for that. He was really smart to say, like, oh, this future date when I'm not president anymore. <laughs> so I don't think it would have done him any favors, even if no matter what the date was on it. But one could argue that, but on a moral standpoint... We gave the Panamanians back their sovereign land, something that should be theirs. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Despite, but there again, I'm sorry. So the the flip side of that is that okay, so it's Panamanian land, arguably it should be theirs, but there is no denying that American money built the thing. Yeah, and French. Yeah, the but they they sold it to us. <laughs> so for, for literally pennies on the dollar. Just like the Louisiana Purchase. <laughs> The French aren't great with their money, are they? Why are you saying the French? Oh, okay, well, to be fair, the French, uh -huh. so most of the financiers of the original canal project were French, but this was not a French government project. The oh. original building was entirely a private venture. Oh, okay. It doesn't become a public venture until the United States buys it. That makes sense. So, and, and all those private investors, thousands, millions of private mm -hmm. investors, almost all of them lost everything in the project because they never finished it. <laughs> okay, so this Banana Republic era, mm -hmm. is it done with? I mean, or do are is our military still meddling in Central American countries for the sake of American businesses? I do not know. I do not know enough about modern day politics. I would imagine that if America is still manipulating or involved in these countries, yeah. we probably do it in a much less public setting. Like, yeah. the, you, you've probably seen the movies. If we do do anything, we're probably sending in the SEALs or some covert teams <laughs> to do some covert operations that we can deny ever happened or if our guys were captured, we okay. deny they ever existed, something like that. So I'm sure that, that sort of thing might still be going on. I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of thing would be going on. I see how but, that works. But no, there, there hasn't been a, oh, we sent a huge bulk mm -hmm. of our army to invade and subjugate this country for an extended period of time. Mm. So yeah, I believe this started off with you asking me what a banana republic was. Mm -hmm. That's a banana republic. That's how it's got its name. Like I said, this thing yeah. still goes on today. While it's not, well, it's arguably not as probably horrible or as unfair as it's been in the past, uh -huh. it's probably still unfair to a degree. Yeah. And China is very, or at least uh, uh, based on several things that I've read, China is very much at this game now. Now, the, I'm not saying that the Chinese are sending in their military to do a lot of these things, but the Chinese are buying up lots of land and lots of resources in other countries around the world. And I wouldn't be surprised that if there is some instability at some point in time in these countries mm -hmm. that the Chinese aren't going to pressure the local government and say, hey, 
you do something to secure yeah. our property in your country or else we're going to take it upon ourselves to do something about it. Right. So like if, uh, uh, if uh, no, Somalia is a bad example because I think they're still in an anarchic stake. Um, trying to think of, uh, okay, I'll go with, uh, I'll pick on Madagascar then because they're the closest thing to Somalia I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> There's other countries closer, but that's the one, that's the one whose name I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. If the Chinese owned land in Madagascar and if uh, Madagascar suddenly had like a revolution or a civil yeah. war or something going on, uh, Madagascar by itself probably does not have the resources to be a very imposing threat to China. And China has, I think, the ability to be very imposing to coax enough countries in the UN, hey, don't interfere with us. China would have the ability to uh, stretch its muscle and say, hey, Madagascar, do something about this or else we're going to come in and take care of it for you. Yeah. Okay, I could see how that could happen. Uh, maybe instead of picking on Madagascar, we should have picked on Uzbekis, Becky's stance. <laughs> yes, which is in no way related to the real Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan no, the, the good people of Uzbekistan. We do not mean to insult you. We are insulting Herman Cain. <laughs> yes. So my takeaway from this episode is that Chiquita Banana is an evil company that is responsible solely for the oppression of Central America. I'd say probably fair to say that uh, that uh, Chiquita Banana mm -hmm. is the son of Hitler. Grandson of Hitler. <laughs> Grandson of Hitler. So there is... You went for so it. He's, so Chiquita Banana is not evil because of what their grandpa did. They're a descendant of the, the big bad guy. But you can't say that they're that they should be... They should be held responsible for the sins of their grandpa? I don't know. I mean, if Hitler was my grandpa and I was doing evil things like Hitler, like I do. Okay, well, evil. Well, then, well, then you're making exceptions. Okay, so yes, if you're doing evil things too. So is too, Chiquita well, Banana still evil? I don't know. I'm not, I have not researched Chiquita Banana's current <laughs> business industry or their current arrangements or however they do their business. They're a big business. We just assume they're evil, they're don't we? Isn't that no. how it works now? Well, no, okay, to be clear, I'm sure plenty of people just assume <laughs> big businesses are evil. I do not generically assume that big businesses are evil. I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing shady things from time to time, but I think everybody... Is there, this is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Okay, who's your favorite president, honey? Uh, ben Franklin. Very good. All right, so Ben Franklin, at mm -hmm. least I believe it was him that said this, said that there is nothing that good, wholesome, savory, everybody, mm -hmm. otherwise good people will do, or there's no crime that they will more easily fall into than defrauding the government. So even <laughs> the true. best of people are going to cheat on their taxes mm -hmm. or going to try to get away with it or something. And companies are no different. Companies are going to try everybody, be you a private company, an individual person, or a nation, is going to try to get away with whatever you can around mm -hmm. even your own rules if you think that you will get away with it and that mm -hmm. it will be beneficial to you. I do not know what Dole or Chiquita's <laughs> current business practices are. I do not study their current business practices. But it is undeniable that they are the remnants, at least, mm -hmm. of the United Fruit Company and whatever the heck the name of that other company was that did indeed engage in these what we today can recognize as nefarious business practices. I was going to look up the name of that company, but I don't care enough. It wasn't that far removed. It was like United Fruit, and it might have been like... Tropical fruit? Wait, so why is it Banana Republic instead of like a Pineapple Republic? Because, or a... Because Banana... Guava Because Republic. Banana Plantations were the biggies. They were? Yep. 
That makes sense. Americans were more crazy for bananas than anything else. Bananas are pretty awesome. Bananas are pretty awesome. And like so many things, bananas were, uh, were uh, Americans fell in love with bananas by mistake. By mistake? Yeah. Or by, oh. by accident. Yes, by I remember accident. you telling me the story. This is a yeah. fun one. So, yeah, no, the bananas weren't sold. The Americans didn't know what bananas were. Yeah. They, they grew in the Caribbean, but I, yeah. and they might have grown in Central or South America too, but I'm pretty sure they came out of the Caribbean, Jamaica specifically, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh-huh. But yeah, there was, no, there was no demand for bananas there. And a ship captain, I don't remember if he purposefully went to the United States with a shipment of bananas, or he just happened to have, like, for his own personal use, just mm-hmm. happened to have a bunch of them on him. And when they got to the United States, he happened to very quickly and easily sell a lot of them to the yeah. people that he encountered. All of a sudden, word gets out that, hey, the United <laughs> States has a market for bananas. They like bananas. Which that especially This is often enough what happens in modern economics. People yeah. have no reason to believe that, oh, the people over there want want to buy this thing mm-hmm. that even though we've had over here forever and a day, they've never expressed an interest in wanting it before. So, yeah, we probably won't waste our time. It's a risk. That. But then somebody try. takes the risk, even, even if like a small yeah. one at first. So, like I said, I don't think this guy had his ship loaded with bananas. Yeah. I think he had a small amount of bananas. Uh, but then, yeah, somebody, uh, somebody makes the risk, yeah. find out that, hey, people like this, and they're willing to pay for it. So then it becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. That's how sugar got started. Your, sugar doesn't grow naturally in Europe. It's right. not the right climate for it. Right. But then all of a sudden, merchants who were getting it from places where it did grow brought it to Europe. All of a sudden, Europe goes gaga and says, mm-hmm. we love this stuff. We want more of it. And believe it, I don't know if I've said this before, but believe it or not, mm-hmm. that is the thing that launches the colonial era. Europe sugar. goes gaga for sugar. It wants sugar, but Europe, or sugar cane at least, yeah. does not, cannot grow in Europe. Europe does not have anywhere in its borders the right kind of climate for growing sugar cane, at least not back then. I don't know if today they've got modern versions of sugar cane that can grow. So wow. they started exploring in the middle parts of the world, like the Mediterranean area, eventually out to the New World, all along Africa, for warmer climates, more suitable for establishing colonies and plantations to grow sugar to meet Europe's demand. Colonialism is... Because of, because sugar. of sugar. Yes, sugar. <laughs> I, I love teaching this to my students. I tell them all the time that, yes, sugar is probably responsible for more evil in the world than almost any other thing. You're willing to call sugar evil, but I can't call Chiquita banana evil. I'm calling a thing that has no personality evil. You're calling a thing run by people that have personalities evil. All right, I think that's enough ridiculousness. All right, thank you for sugar listening. Sugar is evil. <laughs> thank you for listening. Only if you're diabetic. Sugar tries to kill me every day. Every day. Every day. But it also saves your life. If you're too low, you need sugar. I wouldn't be low if it wasn't trying to kill me. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, then please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a five-star review. It's like the worst kind of hunter. It shoots me at the leg just enough so that I can like, <laughs> like, I can limp away, but then I have to come back to it and say, please, save me. And as I try to walk away from it again, it shoots me so that I have to come running back to it again. Sugar is evil. Sugar's sugar evil. has caused so much evil. Mm-hmm. I would... Da- no, I'm not going to dare to say There's that. There's lots of sugar and bananas. I was about to dare to say something very stupid, so I'll say that to you privately so that it doesn't get on the air and then yes. right, I don't get to, uh, sued or... Canceled. Well, I don't think anybody's going to sue me for saying it. You can't sue me because everybody I would say it about is dead, but yes, we could get canceled <laughs> about it. So yeah, I'm not going to say that. Smart man. All right, what, what am I supposed to be saying here? I, I read the highlighted portions, yes, right? That's All right. You. If you'd like to hear a future episode about sugar, I mean, sorry, a future episode with more information about today's topic, 
What was today's topic? Bananas. That's right. Started off with Bananas Republic. We talked about so many other yes, things. Yes, we Sorry, did. I'm off script again. <laughs> um, if you would like to hear more information about anything that we talked about in this episode, uh, contact us on Gmail, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok at Married to History Pod. Also, please contact us if you have a silly question idea or if there's something from history that you would love to learn about. Just be sure to specify in your message if it's silly or serious because we don't want to treat a genuine quest for knowledge as a joke. And we do appreciate sugar donations. <laughs> Talk to you next time. Bye. Like sugar donations. I mean like stuff that has sugar on it. I mean don't don't drop a package of sugar off of my <laughs> Just a bag of it. sugar. I'm, I'm not that kid on Raising Hope. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Before we get into our episode, let's take a minute to talk about something from a past episode. It's important to keep in mind that Shirley doesn't warn me about our topic beforehand. Wait, we don't have anything to talk about. Then why'd you make me read that? Because I wasn't thinking. It was just a script. <sighs> wasn't thinking. I'll cut witnesses, it out. you all are my witnesses. <laughs> she doesn't think. I have a script so I don't have to think. <laughs> Must be so nice to have a script. It's fine. I'll cut all this out. <laughs> I'm not saying that I want a script, mind you. I enjoy doing this off the top of my head, even if I get things wrong from time to time. It's true. Do that. Okay.